welcome to the sermon podcast of Paoli Presbyterian Church. The following sermon is by Nancy Hicks. Well, uh, since graduating from seminary almost a decade ago, I and my team uh, and I have been tracking the radical decline of the church in North America. And certainly loads of different sources, articles are written about this, uh, this radical decline and research organizations that we track are revealing all of the data and the statistics around this fact that there is radical decline happening in the church in North America, in the West uh, by and large, but I'm focusing on North America, we are. And, um, and so I'm not getting into the whys this morning, that's not what we're talking about, although I do think that what I'm bringing to you this morning has something to do with it. You'll see as I, as I sort of unpack this this morning with us, um, what I mean by that. But um, interestingly, one of the uh, demographics that is surprising the church and church leadership that our our team is tracking, uh, that's leaving the church like never before in history, is women. Women. And um, I, that obviously is very scary for the church, and my team is working with church leadership to, to sort of unpack what's happening what can we do about it? And then to work alongside of these women, to go where these women are so that we can encourage them again. But I do believe that the church is being purged right now. I don't know if you agree with me. I don't know if you see it or feel it. I believe that the church is being purged. And in this time of shaking and purging, I believe God is refining his people. I believe that the Spirit of God is hovering over every congregation across the globe. Here this morning, the Spirit of God is hovering over every congregation across the globe looking for his true worshipers. My people. Where are my people? Those who will worship God when there's little to gain but him. I want to say that again. His true worshipers, those who will worship God, the living God, Him, when they have little to gain but Him. And I do think that one of the ways that God is purging sifting, solidifying our faith. We see this throughout church history, of course. We see this throughout, uh, throughout history in general. Um, one of the ways that this is done is through difficulty, through conflict, through pain. And I am curious this morning, who here would like to be found and counted among one of those faithful, regardless of what happens in this life? You can put your hand up, or you can put... Anybody in the house feel like, I want to be counted among one of the faithful? When the, God, when the Spirit of God is hovering over the congregations all across the globe, 48,000 denominations of Christianity worldwide, 
I want to be counted among one of the faithful, please. Pick me, right? So there are times, in fact, through the difficulties and the sifting, uh, through, the, through the conflicts and the purging, all of this sort of gets mixed and mingled together. There are times in our lives when everything we ever believed about God gets whipped up into the air. You talked a little bit about this, Connor, and thank you for your testimony again. Thank you. I think a lot of us feel that way. Uh, you know, the things that we, we think and feel and believe, these things that get whipped up into the air, I think a lot of us feel this way, hence the exit from the church, about God, about the Bible, about church doctrine, about our faith. I think we're, we're wrestling with these things right now for lots of good reasons. And so um, I think back, for example, to when I was a little one, a little child growing up in the church. And maybe some of you can relate to this. Um, you know, when, when we were little, some of the concepts that are getting worked out in our lives, we were little, we were taught Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me, right? It's so simple. It's such a lovely concept and it's such a principal core truth. Jesus loves me. And of course, you took that in as a child. Jesus loves me and you had ideas of what that meant. But then as you grew, you came to know that love doesn't always look like love. Jesus loves me. Wait, this does not feel and look like love. And of course, it's appropriate, right? Because when you're a child, as the scriptures teach, when I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. It's appropriate. I know when we moved, my husband and I, we've been married 33 years, um, and our two sons, David and Aaron, when the four of us moved from Canada, we're from Toronto, to the U.S. 23 years ago, almost 24 years ago, um, we'd grown up in a denomination uh, where I thought theologically that we were all, i.e., not just that denomination, but all Christians were on the same page as far as eschatology, the end times. We'd seen the movies. We are all in agreement about how this is all going to go down. That's what I always had thought. And then come to go to the U.S., or uh, move to the U.S., and um, hanging out with a lot of incredible people who are far more uh, educated in terms of, of um, you know, theology and come to understand there are numbers of different theologies around eschatology, around how this is all going to play out in the end, all based on scripture and interpretation of scripture. And that theologians and biblical scholars hadn't settled these matters in 2,000 years. Kind of rocked my world a little bit. It was a bit of a conflict in my heart, in my soul. Maybe you yourselves have had things like that, where your world is a little rocked. Hold on a second. That's not what I thought. That's not what I believed all this time. I know I always told our boys, David and Aaron, this is the faith of the community that God has placed you in. This is the faith of the family that God has given to you. But ultimately, you, David, you, Aaron, need to own your faith. You need to walk your journey with Christ. You need to choose to follow Christ. That is a solo decision. It is the community. It is the community of faith, uh, 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 the faith of the community. It is the faith of our family. But there are no one's grandfathered in. You choose to follow Christ. And 
we always said to them, shake the trees, kick the tires of your faith. I'll say this to the parents and the grandparents in the room, don't freak out when they do. Pray and stay in relationship with them. Stay connected. And our boys would come home from high school and we'd sit at the Griffin. The boys would come home from high school and they'd come home from college and they'd, they'd say they'd be mad about certain theological things or things that they'd see in the church, the incongruences that they would experience. And I'd say to them, yeah, I get it. I see why you're mad. I'm mad too. You should be mad. God's mad about that too. I get it. What do you believe about God on this one? Mm, can't go with you there. But I love that you're thinking about these things. Your whole mind should be devoted to Christ. Your whole mind. So be rigorous about this. They were bright boys. Both of our boys, smart, strong, thinkers, and followers of Christ. And I will say, our older son David followed Christ all the way home when just two years ago, he died of colon cancer while in graduate school at Harvard. What I'm sharing with you this morning, I am living out right now. It wasn't just about eschatology 23 years ago. It's real for me today. And so, the uh, text I want to bring to you is something that, again, drives home this idea that sometimes in our lives, everything we ever believed about God gets thrown up into the air. Like you're at the shore, and you're wading in the ocean, or you're doing a little body surfing, and a wave comes and wipes you out and takes you down, and you're just disoriented, you're trying to get up, right? You're trying to get up, and I will say to you this morning, be very careful. Do not just get up quickly and move on. Pay attention. Pay attention. The sifting, the purging, the plunging, it is all happening in that moment, in that time. When you're going through difficult times, life-altering times, faith-defining times, now is the time to let God shake loose anything that does not belong, hear me, and to allow God to plunge us deeper into who God is. So I want to read for us this morning, and I would like the, the text to come up on the screen, uh, Lamentations, chapter 3, verses 17 to 26. Lamentations, I'm reading NIV. Lamentations, chapter 3, verses 17 to 26. This is the word of the Lord. I have been deprived of peace. I have forgotten what prosperity is. So, I say my splendor's gone. And all that I had hoped from the Lord... I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. Yet, this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. 
for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. I'm going to cut the text right there at verse 24. Therefore, I will wait for him. The writer of this, uh, of this book, Lamentations, is clearly in a dark place. Verse 17, I have been deprived of peace. He has no peace. I have forgotten what prosperity is. Verse 19 says, I remember my affliction and the wandering, the bitterness and the gall. What language, what descriptive language the author of Lamentations uses for us today, too. So what's happening here in the text? Well, I want to give you the, the, the historical context of this particular book of the Bible and of this text in particular. The historical context is that we are, it is a retrospective, it is a lament. In fact, it's a, an acrostic. There was such chaos and such disorder happening to the people of God at this time, although it is a retrospective. But actually, the poem itself is an acrostic. Why? Because they wanted to give a little bit of order when everything was out of control. What was happening to the people at that time was the Babylonian siege. So approximately 500, 586 B.C., the Babylonians, who were a constant enemy of the people of God, had taken the city of God under siege for 18 months. Their land, the people of God's land, was literally ruined. 18 months they couldn't leave and people couldn't come in. Their crops were ruined. They're elderly, they're weak, their children were dying in front of their eyes. 18 months under siege. And then finally, the Babylonians came in, they lit the nobles' houses on fire, they trampled everything, they lit the palaces on fire, and then they decimated the temple of God. They ruined, utterly ruined Jerusalem, the city of God. It was a horrible time for the people of God. They were dismayed. They were totally disrupted. Is too, too, too uh, minor a word. Everything they'd ever hoped and believed was ruined and destroyed in front of their very eyes. These were God's people. God's chosen people. And God's chosen people, the people of Israel, which is a little tiny country, and they had all these big enemies near them, always attacking them. Little tiny country. The people of God, Israel, for, for, for a long, long time had asked the Lord, make us a mighty nation, give us a monarchy. This is pre preceding this time. Make us this mighty nation for your glory, to display your glory, O oh God. Give us a monarchy to display your glory. Why? Because your glory on us would mean your favor was on us. And if your favor was on us, then your presence was with us, which largely was about the temple, in the temple. And if your presence is with us, that gave us, that gave them their identity. 
And so as they watched the entire city be destroyed and decimated and the people they love, their children, their elderly, their, their weak and vulnerable, absolutely be decimated and the temple fall, as everything fell before their very eyes, all of their hopes and their dreams and all they believed about God fell as well. We are your chosen people, your favored people. We belong to Yahweh. And so everything that they had believed about what that meant for them fell as well. They are expressing, they are lamenting the great fall of the temple and the city of God. And as they express this lament of the great fall as they perceived it of the, or the, the temple and the city fell, they also perceived that they themselves, all they believed and possessed and in fact were, fell along with it. And then right in the middle of this enormous lament, we notice a shift. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great, great is your faithfulness, they say in the middle of all this tragedy. So two little fish were swimming in the ocean one day and just chit-chatting as they swam along. And then a big fish is coming their way and so they're crossing this big fish. The big fish says, hey, good morning, boys. How's the water today? And the two little fish are like, oh, it's good, it's really good, it's really good, and they swim on by. And then the one little fish turns to the other little fish and goes, what's water? God's faithfulness is the water you're swimming in. I want that to land on you this morning. Wherever you are in your lives, in your story, whatever's happened this week or this year or this morning, God's faithfulness is the water you're swimming in. Great is your faithfulness. God's faithfulness is as normal, as all-encompassing, and sometimes imperceivable as air. How easily we can miss the water we're swimming in, like air to us and water to fish, what's omnipresent. God's faithfulness is the water you're swimming in. I want to point out four takeaways for us this morning from this text that I pray will encourage you and will hopefully, by God's grace, set aside any uh, sentimental notions of the faithfulness of God. Four takeaways. Number one. Number one. God's faithfulness does not always mean what we think. Anybody notice that? Anybody notice that? You know, I, I want to ask you, when we say God is faithful, think about it for a moment. What does that mean, God is faithful? And usually when I hear people say God is faithful, it's in one of two directions. One is God has just done something that pleases them, and they go, God is faithful, right? Or something scary is coming, and they don't know what's going to happen, but they go, God is faithful, and it's like, therefore what? Okay, so God's faithfulness does not always mean what we think. 
Think about what you thought God's faithfulness was going to look like in your life. Think about it. And maybe some of you are here this morning and you're like, well, I've never really thought about God being faithful to me, actually. Never an issue. Doesn't really matter. So now is a good time to maybe think about it. There actually is a really good reason that um, the people of God were utterly distraught by what was happening to them. Because um, in the Hebrew Bible, in the Old Testament, we are taught, and it is ubiquitous, it is all over the Hebrew Bible. Follow the ways and the decrees and the laws of the Lord, and what? Life will go well with you. Is that right? It's all over the Hebrew Bible. It's undeniable. Read the book of Proverbs. I mean, I could just go on and on and on. Follow, essentially, follow the laws and the decrees and the ways of the Lord, and life will go well with you. And we believe that too. I mean, there are presuppositions from the Hebrew Bible, right? We believe input equals output, right? I train up my children in this particular way, and it equals this. I'm faithful, right? I do this, and they turn out great. Or, we put this amount of money aside, we give, we tithe at the very base minimum 10% of all we make. That's the first fruits of giving back to God. We all know that is the basis of, of our generosity in terms of the money we make. So we give our tithes and our offerings to the Lord's work. And somehow, some way, we, we have this idea that we're financially going to be what? Blessed. Right? Because this is the Hebrew Bible. And we come out of this, this, this faith tradition, the Judeo-Christian faith tradition. We come out of these presuppositions. The Bab the, during the Babylonian destruction, the people of God were living under those, faith, those assumptions as well. And of course, generally it is true when you follow the ways of the Lord. Life generally, it is true, life goes well with you. If I go against God and I have an affair... Right? It's going to lead to destruction of people's lives. So generally, it is true, but not always. That presupposition gets turned on its ear in the book of Job, as we all know. Job's friends say to him, what'd you do? Where, in what ways did you sin? And Job says, I didn't do anything. You must have, otherwise all this calamity wouldn't have fallen on you. I didn't do anything. God sets it right when he says he didn't do anything. Friends, you're wrong. Ruth, in the book of Ruth, if the same thing happens. Naomi is the female version of Job. Naomi is this beautiful follower of Yahweh, and everything, calamity falls on her too. She didn't do anything. So, so these presuppositions do, in fact, get turned on their ear. And then, of course, we go to the New Testament. We look at Jesus. Jesus is speaking to his disciples. The disciples say about a man who was blind from birth, the disciples say, who sinned, Jesus, his parents or him? And what does Jesus say in this passage? I'm not pulling the passage up. Jesus says, no one sinned. It's for the display of God's work and glory in his life that he's blind since birth. Okay, so we can see that these presuppositions, again, the Hebrew uh, Bible, um, 
those presuppositions get challenged by uh, books in the Bible, they get challenged by Jesus, and yet I believe we still actually live under a lot of those presuppositions today. I think we speak in a way that, we, that shows that. But the fact of the matter is, God's faithfulness does not always mean what we think. So, when we say God is faithful, what exactly do we mean? What exactly is God faithful to or about? Here's what I think the scriptures teach us about God's faithfulness. God is faithful, committed, devoted to his essence, to his character, to his great name. His name and his essence and character are synonymous. They're the same thing. In the passage we're looking at this morning, that is his love. His love, right? His boundless, reckless, all-encompassing love. And another characteristic we see in our passage this morning is his compassion, his mercy, his care, his fire with passion, compassion, fire, and suffering, by the way. So we see these two characteristics of God. God is faithful to who he is, is what I'm trying to say. God is also faithful to building his church. God is faithful to building his church. And we, his church, you are his church, we are faithful in, in, our, pardon me, in our faithfulness and in our allegiance to Christ, we build the kingdom. That's our part. But to build his church and to build his kingdom, God is therefore absolutely faithful, listen to this, to cruciformity, Christ being formed in me and in you. That refining fire. Ouch. Ouch. God is faithful to cruciformity, Christ being formed in me and in you. And he is faithful to carry that on to completion until, until his bride is glorified, glory to glory, until his bride is fully glorified in the coming age. God is faithful to this. And finally, God is faithful to be with us. I have come to understand that this is the one thing I can count on. God says, incarnation, I will be with you with all, with all that's going on, with all that this world is, I will be with you. You say, no, no, Nancy. God says that he will give us truth. Yes, Jesus is truth. He gives us himself. Wait, God says he'll give us light. Yes, he is the light of the world. He gives us himself. Hold on a second. He says he'll give us peace. Yes, he's the prince of peace. He's giving us himself. It is God who is with us. I will be with you. He is faithful to that. By faith, I still believe this. That was funny. You should be laughing about that one. <laughs> so, number one, God's faithfulness does not always mean what we think, and I have explained some of the things that we can actually count on in terms of what we mean when we say that God is faithful. Number two, your faith is not in an outcome, but in a someone, right? A lot of people are walking away from God or walking away from the church because they're expecting a particular outcome. They're praying for it. They have others praying for it all around the globe. People prophesy over, over certain things. 
And we say, I'll pray, I'll pray, I'll wait, I'll hope, I hope, I hope, I have faith, I have faith, I have faith. And when the outcome doesn't turn out the way we expected, we walk away. What kind of God is this? He's not faithful? No. That is not faith in God. That is faith in an outcome. That's a problem. No, our faith is always and only in God. So, number one, God is, God's faithfulness does not always mean what we think. Number two, we have faith, our faith is in an outcome. Pardon me, our faith is not in an outcome, but in a someone. Listen to the text again, because of the Lord's great loved, love, his compassions that never fail, his faithfulness. Your faith is not in an outcome, but in a someone. Number three, lament. Lament. Another takeaway from this passage. Lament. Do. Do throw your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength into lamenting. This book of the Bible, Lamentations, is five chapters. Three and a half of those chapters are lament, 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 lament. I read a little bit of it. I'll just remind you again, just of our passage this morning. Um, I say my splendor is gone and all that I'd hoped from, uh, hoped from the Lord. I remember my affliction and the wandering, the bitterness and the gall. This is all lament, lament, lament. Three and a half chapters, lament, lament, lament. Then we have that little passage in here that I'm saying, yet this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. And then after that little portion, we go back to lamenting. And so I say to you, based on scripture, I don't think this is just descriptive. I think it's prescriptive. I think God is saying to his people, give me all you've got. When things do not turn out the way you'd hoped and prayed, pour it out to me, weep. Get it out of your body. Weep, lament, sorrow before me. I believe that's worship. I believe that's relationship. Lament that your family isn't looking like what you thought it would. Lament that there's more confusion in the world than you can stomach. Lament that God didn't come through the way you expected. Weep and wail and groan. And let me say, my experience as I've, for the last two years, uh, grieved, grieved, grieved the loss of my child. Like, I'm gonna, I want you to hear this. You pour that out before God. Lament, lament, weep, groan, wail. Like a mighty river has been my experience of God. God will carry you. The faithfulness of the Lord will carry you, hold you, and carry you during the season. I have experienced this. This is my testimony. Number four and final point, a takeaway from our passage this morning. Call to mind. We cannot control how God reveals his faithfulness and works out anything flimsy in us, frivolous in us. 
We again have this, these, these lovely little sentimental notions about God's faithfulness. God is faithful, which we've got to get rid of. We cannot work out, uh, we cannot control how God reveals his faithfulness and works out this frivolity in us, whether it's the enemy of our souls who attacks us, or whether it's the curse over the planet, or whether it's our own waywardness. I can tell you, God is faithfully using all of it to bring about his ultimate goals in your life and ultimately in the church and ultimately in the world. So yes, lament, but at some point you gotta switch gears, my friends, my sisters and brothers, you gotta switch gears. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Yet this I call, it's a stake in the ground. Lament, get it out, see it all, acknowledge it, and then you've got to put a stake in the ground. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, absorbed, eaten up by the thing. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. Oh God, I am not consumed by this. We walk by faith and not by sight. We don't hear that enough. We are walking by faith and not by sight. So confidently call to mind, yet this I call to mind. Confidently call to mind and then fix your spiritual eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of this faith. It is not about your faith, ultimately. Ultimately, faith has always been a gift from God, initiated, authored, and perfected, finished by Christ Jesus. This faith is ours to receive and to honestly lean and live into. God's faith. God's faithfulness. It is God who is found faithful. Let's pray. Lord, I confess before my brothers and sisters this morning that I wish your faithfulness looked different. I wish that your faithfulness meant that we didn't have to go through the things we have to go through in this life. But here again this morning with my brothers and sisters, Lord, we submit to your ways we submit to your authority. We submit, O oh God, to your boundless, reckless love that by faith this morning I still believe is true. And so, Lord, for every single person here this morning, whether they're at home or whether they're here in the room, 
Lord, we offer our doubt back to you. We offer anything flimsy and frivolous in us, sweet, sentimental notions about who you are, what you do, how you come through, what your faithfulness looks like. We offer it back to you and say, do your mighty work. Sort this out in my head and in my heart. To the glory of your great name and the furtherance of your kingdom in my time and in your time, O oh God, we pray. I'm grateful that Jesus taught his disciples, when you pray, pray like this. And I'd ask you to join me in the Lord's Prayer now. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.